Hello, and welcome to the wonderful world of AI Daily. We're excited to be with you here. I'm your host, Barb, and here with our other hosts, Ethan and Connor. Let's jump into today's first story. It's called 3D LLM, gives you a little bit of a clue of uh, what it's about, but it's applying large language models and meshing them with the 3D world and, you know, what can we do? Large language models aren't, you know, made to understand the 3D world necessarily. The 3D world has not been turned into a, you know, the state of AI that LLMs are. So how do we bring these two worlds closer together and make some magic with them? Uh, Connor, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what this paper is showing off? Yeah, so of course, so far, LLMs are great at understanding text. And nowadays, models like GB4 are getting pretty good understanding images. This is taking that a step further where now you can plug in an entire 3D scene, like an entire 3D nerf scan of a room into an LM. And you can ask like, hey, help me find the fridge. And it'll like guide you around the room or say like, hey, how would I move from this to here? And it would tell you how to do that. Or you can say like, hey, where is my suit at? And it would like say it's in the wall. And even like very fine tuned, like specific details on like, I need to iron my suit. And it'd be like, okay, step one, the iron is right here next to the cabinet. So it's essentially giving LLMs the power to fully understand 3D scenes. And I'm sure this is going to be very helpful, very capable in smart homes and robotics and really everything you need to connect AI to understand full spatial rooms. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's a great description. And, you know, I'm not, I think what they're proposing, you know, that's going to happen is going to happen. We'll see if this specific approach is the approach that ends up, you know, making sense in your smart home. Uh, that remains to be seen. But what they're showing is that this is certainly possible. And it's not like they required a billion dollars and 500 people to pull it off. So, you know, if Apple applies, it's a, uh, its power and resources, you could, you know, understand that really cool things are going to be capable. What, what did you get out of it, Ethan? Yeah, I think that's spot on. It looks like kind of a, and you know, really cool accomplishment here, um, but it looks like kind of an engineering piece together. You know, what they're doing is taking this 3D point cloud and then they say, okay, let's in essence, take a lot of pictures of it and still use these kind of 2D vision models, right? And then at the end of the day, you can say, hey, where's the suit? It finds the picture with the suit from the 2D angle and then positions it within 3D space. So a cool engineering hack, and this might be the way people attack it. You know, if the vision models, the foundation models are built on just 2D images, you can still get a lot out of it and move to 3D in this way. But I think we are going to see much bigger just 3D data sets. You know, that's kind of the backlog here to get these models done. And GPUs as well as a backlog. So cool engineering hack, but I'm not sure if this is, you know, the future of the way 3D models will be handled. Yeah, maybe not the final approach, but absolutely sci-fi style demonstrations yeah. that they did really really absolutely. smart on their part to just show off the full blade runner vibe of uh, of the what they were able to pull off here kudos and congrats to them and thanks to them for sharing it let's 100%. move on to our next super cool story this is another you know ai meets the physical world type of demonstration it's called vima or vima i'm not sure how they've opted to pronounce it. And uh, this is a really cool demonstration of how LLMs and robot arms can work together. And this was powerful. They, you, you can provide this model and they've 
they've made the entire model open source, uh, including the simulator that you can use to work with it. And you can give it text and images and videos or some mixture of them. And it does all sorts of cool, crazy stuff. Ethan, tell us some more. Yeah, so they put in a ton of work to do this, um, not only in the simulator side, but building the whole data set, building a new benchmark. They put in an absolute ton of work to do this. I think we're seeing, you know, as we've talked about before on the show, just the progression of the whole robotic space. You know, we've seen a robot saying, hey, move to the left, right? That's just a text prompt. Now we have these multimodal prompts. So they're adding a ton of new attention layers and saying, hey, you can follow the attention of an image. You can follow the attention of video frames itself. So, you know, let me mimic you, right? Which is what, how babies learn. So let me show you a video of how this object is being moved from the left to right and put in the circle. And now the robot arm can do that. Hey, let me look at this image. Let me look at the text prompt and let me follow the video frames to try and mimic this. So I think this one's actually extremely groundbreaking. They're going to present it at ICML here Thursday. Like I said, a ton of work put into it and a really cool approach to actually giving robot arms more abilities. Yeah. Con Connor, what'd you take? Yeah, technically how it works is very interesting. They have the Vima, the like visio motor attention. And it, essentially, it's an encoder-decoder transformer model where, as you said, Ethan, the input is all this multimodal of text, images, even videos, video frames. And out of that, it can decode the entire movement of robotic arm. And I think taking attention further and taking attention to do things like that is very impressive. And as you said, we'll link the videos below, but all the videos, all their simulations, very good. And I agree, it's pretty groundbreaking. So natural. It feels like the right way to train these things. You know, the right. data sets people have been struggling with for so long, but hey, we have videos of someone throwing a towel. We have videos of someone opening a fridge. I think this is really the pathway of how these things will learn. Yeah. I wonder if they've tried it with a real robot arm and, you know, the simulated world and, and the real world are not very close to each other. So I wonder if they'd get the same level of performance. I mean, it should fundamentally work similarly, but does it? catch the edge cases of, uh, you know, what the real world brings. And, you know, ultimately you'll have to do that in any model, you know, being able to pull things off in a simulated world sounds cool, but isn't really useful. Uh, dealing with the edge cases of the real world is maybe even a bigger challenge than the challenges that they, they've taken on. But I think certainly this is a huge step in the direction of getting that done. You're not going to solve it all at once. My, my understanding is they might actually be showing it on robotic arm at ICML. Cool. Yeah. yeah. If you're in Hawaii on Thursday, send us a video, please. Yeah, definitely send us a video. They said, they said, come by uh, the exhibit hall and say hi. So uh, any AI daily people at the ICML, take some videos, go say hi to them and send us some videos. We'll, we'll post it on the next episode or whenever we get the video. Uh, great, great, great story. Super cool to see two big uh, physical world meets AI stories. And then. Uh, our third story is about our friends over at Stability AI launching Free Willy One and Free Willy Two. The, I don't, it's 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 it seems like the only possibility, but it seems crazy that they basically did Free Willy Two. I don't know, like two days after Llama Two dropped, and they just like you know switched out one LLM for another and ran everything uh, all over again. And one of the cool things that they're they're showing here is that. They're able to do this on a, on, a, on a much smaller data set, which means uh, faster, cheaper, and as they mentioned, lower carbon footprint uh, here. Connor, what the, tell us some more about Free Willy. Yeah, we cover, it's based on the Orca paper. We covered the Orca paper for Microsoft a bit back. It's essentially, instead of training all these models on the output of GPT-4, like Alpaca or Vitunia do, 
it trains it on an entire like chain of thought process from GP4. So out of Orca, we saw Open Orca from another team. We saw Dolphin from Eric Hartford. And now we see Free Willy, which is the like free open source version of it from Spill AI. It's not, um, it's not commercially available because it is, of course, trained off GP4 output. So it's only open for research, but seems to be very capable. It seems on par with the other open implementations of Orca and well done by Spill AI. Yeah. What, what, what's your read on this, Ethan? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see more trainings and progress in the space. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Free Willy 1 was trained on the old Llama. It's not that good. And they're showing, hey, we took a new, better foundation model on the same data set, and it's better. Uh, you know, I'm glad people are training more things. I think it's interesting progress. It shows the power of Orca as a framework, you know, like Connor mentioned, we've talked about before. But I'm not sure who's going to be using Free Willy right now. But at the end, maybe you might. I was kind of wondering the same thing. It you know, it's easy to criticize people doing stuff here, so I don't want to make it sound like uh, I'm diminishing their efforts here at all. But I couldn't quite get my head wrapped around, you know, sort yeah. of what the point of it all was. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy to kind of say research and well, OK, if somebody uses it, then I guess, you know, for research, then you've met your goal. And, you know, yeah. obviously someone's going to use it. I don't think it's going to be zero people using it, but. I couldn't yeah. quite figure out what my own angle of attack on grabbing this and putting it to use would be, right? There's yeah. Llama 2. What am I, why am I, why am I using Free Willy? I don't know. What do you guys think? I think they're just in testing the whole instruction, fine tuning and everything because they are apparently announcing another like version of stable LM soon. So probably. Yeah, maybe it's just them sharing their work and sharing what they're doing as they go. Uh, yeah, and you know, Everyone's got to make noise in this space and get attention. And, and it's good to share what you're doing uh, when it's out there. Um, you don't need people like us criticizing every single thing you do. Absolutely. Yeah, very cool. Uh, nice work, Stability AI. Keep it up. Don't stop. We need you. Uh, what are you all seeing out there, Ethan? Um, I just, I've been seeing more and more tweets, you know, not to add to the firestorm, but of this true like GPU crunch, right? Um, Suhair was talking about, hey, you know, you pretty much need $10 million if you want to start getting in the list at NVIDIA and actually start getting GPUs. You know, people are over here predicting that, hey, in the next six months, if you want 128 H100s, it's probably just not going to happen. So how that's going to slow down the bottleneck of actual startups getting access to some of these, getting new foundation models out there. Um, you know, we might see a little dark period here in the next three months, just purely because of logistics of GPUs. So I don't know if it'd be my prediction, but always interesting to keep up with how GPUs are actually getting in people's hands, right? I, I wouldn't there's be surprised. There's not going to be enough GPUs. And there, I don't know. Well, there's no other way to put it. There's not going to be enough of them. You need $10 yeah. million or this million dollars or that or the other, buy them used. Or, there's just not going to be enough. Exactly. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like a dark ages, like you said. But then out of that, will probably come a renaissance where people start getting things to work on AMD and even like Intel CPUs and everything. So. Wouldn't be surprised yeah. about the crunch yeah, rules. People are getting a lot done on A100s too. Absolutely. Right. Uh, well, Connor, what are you seeing? Yeah, I saw OpenAI shut down their AI detection tool. They announced it back in February to essentially just detect uh, text and images that they generate. And they're shutting it down now because pretty clearly it probably didn't really work because as we know, it's kind of hard to detect the AI generated. Yeah, it's hard to reliably detect it you know yeah. you can yeah. 
you can get lucky, but you don't really know if you got detected, if you detected something or just hallucinated in the right direction. Uh, as they say, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. So yeah, you know, yeah. doesn't mean a whole lot for that approach to build, clock building. Um, <clears throat> I saw a cool uh, paper about psychiatry and AI. And, you know, I don't know if it was the most surprising or shocking information but it does, I think, underscore something important, which is to say, you know, the paper kind of shows that if you induce anxiety, you get a different response from an LLM than if you come at it neutrally or you try to induce happiness from it, you're going to get different outputs, uh, which I guess isn't really shocking or surprising. Uh, it is interesting that it seems to, you know, provide more anxious replies than humans do. Uh, but I think the more interesting thing to garner from this is, you know, we have to, we're, we're moving into a world where a lot of people may start just understanding that what the AI says is some sort of fact or some sort of, you know, absolute reality when what's a lot of what's going on is you're pushing it in the direction that you want it to. So, you know, once people start accepting AIs as some sort of ground level truth, you're going to see everybody manipulating the results of the AI and be like, see, the AI, I said this, and the AI said that the world is going to end, or it said that the world is not going to end, or, you know, you, you got to be careful the, you know, what you kind of put in is in some ways what you kind of get out. I don't know if you guys took a look at that paper or not. It's kind of another example of how much like training data matters because yeah, your AI is probably more anxious than the average person, but that's probably just because your average chronically online person is more anxious than the average person. <laughs> Yeah, and it's designed to, you know, please in a sense, you know, and and it and give you the output that it thinks you're looking for, and so it's going to try to do m more of what you ask of it. And you know, humans have a, you know, whole host of filtering, um, going on in their head, and it, it's even, you know, asking people. Self-reported information is not real science, to be honest. You can't net out all of the things that people are doing to filter in their heads and stuff to really understand if that's what even somebody really thinks, even if they, even if they respond by saying this is what they think, um, you know, it's not an easy task to even figure out. Pretty cool though. Just thinking about how these models are anxious, like what a question we're asking ourselves, right? And like, they have data that kind of backs it up, um, whether you think it's conscious or not, or anxious or not, it acts that way. So yeah, it cool. behaves yeah. anxiously and behavior. Is ultimately, you know, more relevant to the world we live in than just what happens going on inside people's minds. Exactly. Yeah. Well, another exciting episode where we've solved all the world's problems. We thank you for joining us, uh, especially the 30% of you on average that get this far into our show. We'll see you on the next episode of AI Daily. Have a great day, everybody. See you guys.